as you find your seat, find your way to Ruth chapter 2. Now, I was almost going to say the gospel of Ruth chapter 2, and that would be a little bit incorrect, but not entirely, because the gospel is written for us all through the book of Ruth, and we'll see a little bit of it in the chapter that we have today. So Ruth chapter 2, we're going to see what God does with these two women. You remember it from last week, right? Last week we saw in Ruth chapter 1 how this family, the man of the family, his name was Elimelech, his wife, her name was Naomi, and uh, them and their two sons in a time of crisis that they had. They lived in Bethlehem in ancient Israel, and in a time of crisis they did just the wrong thing. When God wanted them to stay, they fled. They left. And the sad part of it was, was they left, to use an expression, from the, fi- from the frying pan into the fire. It only got worse for them in the crises of their life. But then going from that kind of tragedy, they felt that God, uh, excuse me, Naomi had a turning of her heart back to the Lord, and she decided to go back from the land of Moab all the way back to Bethlehem, and with her came her Moabite daughter-in-law, Ruth. And as we left it last week, at the end of chapter 1, they're just now coming back into Bethlehem. And do you remember what Naomi said? Naomi said this, Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. Wow, what a statement, right? The years had been hard on Naomi. She was at an end of herself, and she comes back where she should be, back with the Lord, back among the people of God. But she's living in the shadow of ten bitter years of her life. Well, what's God going to do in their life? Listen, there's a general principle in the Word of God. You you know this is a wonderful promise. The Bible says, if you draw near to God, He'll do what? He'll draw near to you. Isn't that an amazing promise? Now, what has Naomi and Ruth done? They've drawn near to the Lord, right? Shouldn't we expect that in chapter 2, God's going to draw near to them? Well, you should expect it. Here we go. Verse 1. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. Now, Naomi was related to this man, Boaz, through her deceased husband, Elimelech. We don't know exactly how Elimelech was related to Boaz. We don't know if they were cousins. We don't know if they were second cousins. We don't know the exact relation, but they were related somehow. And we're told several things about this man, Elimelech. First of all, we're told that he's a man of great wealth. Now, I find two things very interesting about that. First of all, I find, why did Elimelech and Naomi leave Bethlehem so many years before? Because of famine. What does famine mean to an agricultural society? It means absolute disaster, right? It means economic catastrophe. And yet God had blessed Boaz, who stayed put in Bethlehem, so that not only he survived, but he was rich. Isn't that amazing? It went bad for Elimelech and Naomi when they went to Moab. When they did what God did not want them to do, things went badly. But for Boaz, who had the opportunity to leave 10 years before, but he didn't, he stayed put and God blessed him. So that's the one thing I see. The other thing I see is it's a very interesting phrase in the ancient Hebrew that is translated for us there in verse 1. 
a man of great wealth. Do you know what that phrase is translated in other places in the Old Testament? When I say it, some of you are going to recognize these words. It's translated in other places in the Old Testament, a mighty man of valor, a hero. This is a knightly man, to use sort of a medieval conception. He's a man of honor. He's a man of character. He's a man of goodness, but he was also a man of resources, a man of great wealth. That's the first thing we know about Boaz. The other thing we know about Boaz, the other very interesting thing about verse 1, is it says that he was a relative. Now, again, I, I just want to tell you that this ancient Greek word, or Hebrew word, I should say, that's translated for us, relative here, is a very interesting word, a very meaningful word. It's the ancient Hebrew word, goel. And to say that somebody was a goel meant more than they were just a relative. It was actually... This man was a special family representative. He was sort of a chieftain in the family, a recognized representative of the family. That's Boaz. So this new man comes on the scene. Verse 1 again. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. Verse 2. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean the heads of grain after him, in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now this is amazing, isn't it? One of the things I love about the Bible is that it is so vivid. It is so full of life. Can't you just see this happening in your mind? Are you like me? The Bible is like a movie that runs in my head. And so I see Naomi and I see Ruth together and they're discussing in the morning. Now they need food. They need some resources. They came back to Bethlehem from Moab without anything. Apparently they have a place to stay, but they don't have much else. And Ruth says, I've got to do something to provide for the family I'm going to go out to the fields and glean what she says. Look at that in verse 2. And glean heads of grain. What does that mean? Well, God is so wise and is so good that in the law code of ancient Israel, he had a very unique and wonderful way of providing for the poor. You find this in Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 and 10. And what God commands them there is this. He says, hey, farmers, when you're harvesting your fields, don't harvest everything. Cut the corners. Leave the corners of your field. Cut the very ends of your field. And when you're walking along and you have a bundle of grain that you've harvested and you drop one, God said, don't pick it up. What you're supposed to do is leave the corners of your field, leave the edges of your field that you would normally harvest, and the the little bundles that you drop accidentally, you leave those for the poor so that they have a way to provide for themselves. And again, this was one of the social assistance programs in ancient Israel, and it was such a wonderful way for God to provide for the poor. You know why it was great? Well, first of all, because it was good for the farmers, It made the farmers be generous. Instead of the greedy farmer who would say, I'm going to cut down every stock of grain in my field because it all belongs to me. It's all mine. That's all there is to it. God says, no, Mr. Farmer. 
You're not supposed to be so selfish. You're not supposed to be so greedy. Leave some behind. I'm going to command you to do it. But it was also good, not just for the farmers. It was good for the poor. You know why? Because the poor could provide for their needs, but they had to go out and get it. God didn't say, hey, farmers, go back up the truck of grain for the poor and deliver it to their houses. He said, no, you leave it behind in the field and the poor of the land can come and they will harvest the little bits that you've left behind. And it was a way for the poor to provide their own needs in a way that they honored their own initiative and gave them dignity and not just a handout. Isn't God wise? Isn't he good in the way that he does his law? So Ruth, knowing this, says, I'm going to go out to the fields. It's harvest time. And the little bits that they leave behind, the little accidental things that they drop on the ground, I'm going to go pick up that. And mom, Naomi, I hope I can get enough from that to feed us. Let's see when I come home today. So Ruth goes out of the house. You can see it in your mind, right? She goes and she finds a field. And what does it say there in verse 3? Don't you love this? She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Just happened. Just accident. Could have been any old field, right? Eeny, meeny, minu. I'll pick this one. And totally by accident. Now, it seemed that way to Ruth. But you and I and anybody who reads the book of Ruth, we know, right? This was no accident, right? This was no uh, happenstance. Ruth came to that field. Why? Because God was guiding her to that field. There's no doubt about it. Now, doesn't this show us some of the wonderful ways that the invisible hand of God works? Imagine this. Ruth stays home, and there she is at their little home, their little hut there, her and Naomi, and they're praying, Oh, God, just show us the right field. Oh, God, just provide for our needs. God, just send somebody with food for us. And what does God say? No, go out and get it. I've made provision for you. Oh, God, just show me the right field. Just send me the right field. I just need to know where to go. And God says, no, you just go out and I'll guide you along the way. And didn't he guide him? Now, she felt it was just accidental, but it was not accidental at all. Now, I can imagine Ruth takes a step out of the door of her little house and she says, God, just show me what field you want to. And she's waiting. She's waiting for God to send a searchlight from heaven, a golden beam of sunshine directly on one field with the birds singing and the angels picking her up and carrying her just to that field. This is the one God finally found it. No, she just walks out and in a very natural, supernatural way, God guides her. Are you familiar with that in your life? Now listen, there are times, you've probably had it in your life, I know I've had it in my life, where God guides us supernaturally. I've had that. But I have to say, most of the time, God guides us naturally, supernaturally, as we make our way along in the world serving him. That's God's normal way of doing things. And are you comfortable with that? You you need to be. Some of you... I dare say this. I hope you'll understand what I mean. Some of you, you're too spiritual. You're you're waiting for God to deal with you in a hyper-spiritual kind of way instead of just saying, Lord, I'm going to step out and trust that you'll guide my steps. Now listen, I know there have been times in my life, and maybe some in yours too, where God says, stop, don't do anything until I guide you. There are such times in our lives, but those are rare. 
The normal way is you get out there and I'll guide you along the way. I remember when I was a very young Christian, I heard a phrase, and some things when you hear when you're a young believer, they just stick in your mind. And it's stuck in my mind ever since. A guy said to me, you know, he said, it's really hard to steer a parked car. And that's how we are in our lives, right? We park the car, we turn off the keys, we say, oh Lord, just guide me, just guide me. And God says, get rolling and I'll guide you. Get moving, just take the next step, just do something you know to be my will, and I'll guide you along the way. That's exactly how God was moving in the life of Ruth. He was guiding her supernaturally, but in a very natural way. So what happens, verse 4? Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. Isn't that a great model for employer-employee relationships right there? How would you like that at your place of work? Your boss comes in and he says, The Lord be with you. And all the employees respond, The Lord bless you. That is an anointed workplace. I can't imagine that that's happening very many places here in this community. But doesn't this show you something about Boaz? Doesn't it show you what a good man he is? When your employees love you that much, when you love them and they love you that much, it shows you're a good man. You're dealing fairly with your employees. And they see the honor, they see the character, they see the goodness in your life. This shows us something very good about Boaz. Okay, now on to verse 5. Then Boaz said to his servant, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. Now I have to say, this is wonderful. Boaz is looking out over his fields. He's a good manager. He's a good uh, organizer of the work that God has given him to do. He looks out over his fields, okay, and there's the people cutting the grain, and there are the women following behind. They're tying it all into a sheaf. You remember, it's like a movie in my head. And then he runs, and his eyes run across, and there are the people who are the gleaners, right? The poor people of the land. They're following behind the people who cut down the grain and bundle it into sheaves. And he looks over the gleaners, and he goes, oh, yeah, I know that person. I know that person. I know that person. And then he sees a woman goes who's that this is Bethlehem this is a small village I know everybody who's here I know this community who is that person and so he asks his foreman he says hey Mr. Foreman please tell me who is this young woman he says well you know who that is that's Ruth that's the Moabitess the one who came back from Naomi and then I love what he says there right there in verse 7 he says and she said please let me glean and gather As the supervisor reported to Boaz, he told of Ruth's submissive attitude. What do I mean by submissive attitude? Please remember, Ruth had the right to glean in those fields. She could have come up to Boaz or anybody else and said, Here, I'm under the authority of Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 and 10. God says, I have the authority to glean in this field. Uh, Out of my way. The law of God gave her the authority to do that. But she still comes in a submissive attitude and she comes to the foreman and she says, Mr. Supervisor, I want to know, is it okay for me to glean in your field? That impressed the supervisor. And the supervisor reported it to Boaz. 
she made a good impression with that very gentle, submissive, but yet taking initiative kind of heart. I find it interesting. Ruth's work was already under inspection. This supervisor knew exactly what she was doing. Don't you realize it's the same way with us? You are under inspection. I can say that in a couple different ways. You are under inspection, first of all, by the Lord God who sits in heaven, right? He sees all the work that you do. Everything you do from the smallest list, God notices. You are also under inspection from angelic beings who want to see how you live your Christian life. I don't mean to freak anybody out with that, but it's true. Your Christian life, your daily life is under inspection by angelic beings. And the Bible itself says that our lives are to be a lesson to angelic beings. So that's another level. But I'll give you a third level in which your life is under inspection. It's under inspection by this world that looks at you, right? And the fact of the matter is this. Your life is the only Bible that many people will ever read. Oh, I know we wish it was different. We wish we could just say to people, hey, don't look at my life. Look to Jesus. Read the Bible. Don't look at me. I'm telling you, that's not going to happen. They are going to look at your life, and they are going to judge whether or not Christianity is true and whether or not Christianity is valid based on what they see in your life. You are under inspection just like Ruth was. And she had a good testimony to the supervisor, and the supervisor reported it to Boaz. So therefore, Boaz has a great first impression of Ruth, right? He sees her godly character. Verse 8, then Boaz said to Ruth, you can just imagine first face-to-face meeting between Boaz and Ruth. Then Boaz said to Ruth, you will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. This is wonderful. First words between Ruth and Boaz, this time Boaz speaking to Ruth. Now, I don't mean to spoil the story. I hope many of you have already gone home. You've read the whole book of Ruth. But what we find is the book of Ruth is not only a book that tells us about how God deals in times of crisis. It's not only a book that tells us how God rescues and redeems his people. It is also a real and wonderful love story. And all the women said, oh. It is. It's a great love story, isn't it? Now, at this first meeting between Boaz and Ruth, I have to say, and look, this is just my reading of it. In the movie that runs in my head, as I read this, I do not see the romantic sparks flying thus far. I don't see it yet. I see it very soon, but not just yet. Not at their first meeting. I don't think this was love at first sight. Probably second sight, but not first sight. And this is why I think. I want you to know, nowhere does the Bible tell us that Ruth was beautiful. We don't know that. Now, I'm not saying she was ugly. I'm just saying there's no comment made on her beauty. If I were to cast the role of Ruth in a movie, I would make her a very normal-looking woman. I wouldn't go out and look for some cover girl model to play Ruth because I think she was very normal-looking, and I guarantee you that after half a day of hard work, as she said right here, she didn't look so hot right now. <laughs> she's all sweaty. She's disheveled. Her, you know, makeup, well, she wasn't wearing makeup, but you know what I mean. 
Her face is flushed from work and there's sweat all over her brow and she's just not looking so great after half a day of hard work. And this is why I think this is important. What impressed Boaz about Ruth was not first her beauty, it was her character. That's what impressed her about her. He said, this is a woman of character. This is a godly woman. I need to protect this woman. I need to take care of her. Not necessarily in a romantic way, but this is a good woman who deserves protection. So he says, listen, verse 8, you stay close by my young women. That'll give you companionship, Ruth. There's no reason for you to be out here working all alone. My young women are tying up the bundles of grain that the, that the uh, guys cut down with their blades. You stay close to them because that'll give you companionship. Second, Ruth, I want to give you protection. And I told my young men, don't you touch this young woman from Moab. Thirdly, Ruth, I want to give you refreshment. So when you're hot, when you're tired from this hard-working day, you go over and you drink from the employee refreshment stand. You, you don't have to worry about what you brought for yourself. I'm going to take care of you, Ruth. Isn't this wonderful kindness from Boaz? And at this point, again, very soon I think we see the beginnings of a romantic attraction. But at this early point, we have no indication of a romantic attraction between Boaz and Ruth. And yet, nevertheless, he's very kind to her. That's the real measure of a man's kindness, isn't it? We say this to Young girls at the Bible college, of course, I say it to my own daughter, and we say it to anybody. You know this story, right? Girls, when you're dating a man, when you're getting to know a man, don't you pay any attention to how he treats you. He treats you nicely, okay, that's great. You take a look at how he treats other people, especially people who are perceived to be lower or less than him. If he's mean or cruel or short or unkind to them, You pay notice because that displays his real character. This Boaz was a man of character and Ruth was a woman of character. And I want you to notice as well that it seems that at this point there was no payoff in it for Boaz. What does a poor Moabite girl have anything to give to Boaz? Nothing. And this is again is another real demonstration of his kindness. Can you be kind to people who have no favors that they can give to you? That was Boaz, and he could do it. So now, look at verse 10. This is Ruth's response. So she fell on her face, bowed to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that, I should, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? I love Ruth's attitude. Honestly, some of us, we would have said, Well, it's about time somebody noticed. I've been working hard all day. When's God going to give me the blessings that I deserve? We never see Ruth with that kind of attitude. You know, Ruth doesn't seem amazed at the hard times she's had. Why am I here in Israel? Why did I leave Moab? Why did my husband die? Why am I a childless widow in a foreign land? Why are all these things against me? You don't see that from Ruth. What does she do? She's amazed at the goodness of God towards her. God has been so kind to her. Now, what surprises you more? Do you get surprised when things go bad in this world? I don't. I get surprised when I see the goodness of God in this world. I don't wonder why why things go bad. I wonder why things go good. It's because there's a gracious God in heaven who intervenes in this fallen, messed up world and does something glorious in it. And that was Ruth's attitude. Why should I be so blessed? 
This man is taking care of me. And especially, she says in verse 10, since I am a foreigner. I'm a stranger here. I don't deserve it. And that made Boaz's kindness to Ruth all the more precious. Did you know that the Bible says that we should be kind to the strangers among us? It's very important for us to do that. This applies on a few different levels. One way that I want you to think about it is to think about the way that society is changing. Did you know that in our culture today, family is becoming less and less important? That's sad. That's tragic. I think God wants family to be the building block of society, and we need to do everything we can to strengthen our families. But you know that having a strong family means you don't hate the stranger, right? You, you do whenever you can. You invite people into the circle of your family, right? Because you have an attitude that says, I love the stranger even though I love my family in a special way. But think about it this. Sociologists tell us that one of these transformations in society that's going on right now is that family is becoming less and less important to people and friendships are becoming more and more to people, more and more important. What it means is, Many people identify more with their circle of friends today than they identify with their families. And what sociologists call this sometimes is your circle of friends is known as your tribe. That's the people you hang with. Those are the people really important in your life. Not so much your family, but your tribe. Now look, I hope that you have a circle of friends. I hope that you do have a tribe that you connect with and you find some some satisfaction and meaning with. That's great. But is your tribe closed? Does your tribe hate the stranger? Does your tribe become a clique where basically you say, yeah, we have our good little thing going, but if you're not of my tribe, I don't really care much about you. That's not a biblical attitude. Boaz showed this great love for the foreigner, for the stranger, and God blessed him for it, and he used it to bless Ruth. Okay, now going on to verse 11, he says, And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you've left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given to you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you've come for refuge. Then she said, let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants servants. Boaz knew of Ruth's commitment to the God of Israel. Did you see that in verse 12? The Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. He knew the story and he knew that Ruth had turned her heart not just geographically from Moab to Israel but she had turned her heart to the living God of Israel. And so uh, Ruth's response in verse 13 is simply to say, let me find favor in your sight. This was a very polite way of saying thank you to Boaz. So they go off, they're doing their work, and it's coming to mealtime now in the afternoon. Look at it now, verse 14. Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed parched grain to her, and she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. And when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. Let also the, gra- the bundles 
grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. I don't know. I start to see the romance developing here, don't you? Boaz says to Ruth, Ruth, don't go eat with the rest of the gleaners. You come and eat with my employees. You come here. And then he gives her the favored dip of the bread in vinegar, a special sign of favor. He passed to her some of the parched grain. He's showing special favor to her. And she notices. You know how I know she notices? Did you see her reaction, verse 14? She ate and was satisfied and kept some back. She didn't eat everything on her plate. She asked for a doggy bag for two reasons. She wanted to take some home to Naomi, good girl Ruth, but she also, you know how it is, ladies, you go out with a man you want to impress, you know, you don't want to look like a little, you know, pig. You say, I'm going to eat very delicately, I'm going to impress this man, and you say, well, I'm not going to eat my whole plate because I just want to, right? You know the story. I see the buddings of romance here. And then did you see, then did you see what, what Boaz did for Ruth? Verse 15, let her glean even among the sheaves. Do you know what that means? There's the bundles of grain, the sheaves of grain. They're bundled up, they're all tied up. Hey, let her go take some of those. Well, that's not gleaning, that's giving. And then he says, let some handfuls of grain fall on purpose for her, right? So, so the employees of Boaz were supposed to walk around. They see Ruth behind her. Whoops. And Ruth says, hey, look, I can't believe how much I found. Now, isn't this wonderful? Listen, listen. At the end of the day, there were several gleaners working in Boaz's field that day. Can you imagine what it was like at the end of the day? The, the other gleaners, they have maybe a gallon, you know, of grain that they bring back. You know how much Ruth came at the end of the day? We'll find in a few minutes. She had five and a half gallons of grain that she brought back to her mother. She had so much more because of why? Because of Boaz's special kindness to Ruth. Look, not only was it that Boaz was specially kind, but Ruth had to receive the kindness, right? Could you imagine what it would be like if Ruth was proud? Hey, Boaz, I don't need your charity. I'll glean what I can get for myself. I don't want no handouts from me. I'm going to do it my way, Boaz. That's it. Now listen, you laugh at that. You think that would be crazy. It would be suicidal for Ruth to do. But can I say this? Many people do the same thing in their relationship with God. God wants to show you special kindness today. Can I just paint the picture for you? Jesus is Boaz and you're Ruth. You need him. You've come to glean in his field, and Jesus has come to take special care of you. Special care of you. It only works if you receive it. It only works if you'll lay aside your pride and your demand to do it all your way, and if you'll receive the kindness that Jesus wants to give to you. That's what Ruth did. That's what we must do also. Verse 17 So she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley. Again, that's five and a half gallons. She came back. You know, I in the movie that runs in my head, she's got it, you know, like in a shawl or something. She's bringing back a big, it's like a wheelbarrow full of barley. She brings it back to Ruth. Can you imagine how Naomi was so pleased to see this? It says, 
Then she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So she brought out and gave to her what he had, he had kept back after she had been satisfied. In other words, Mom, here's the doggy bag. Not just the food, the, the grain that I've gotten, but here's the doggy bag as well. And what I want you to notice, first of all, verse 17 tells us that she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she had gleaned. You know what that tells us? Ruth worked all day long. Isn't that insignificant? This was a sun-up to sundown day, and Ruth worked hard, even at the end of the day, taking that grain and grinding it into flour. I think that the way that Ruth gleaned grain is the way that we glean riches from the Word of God. You've got to be willing to work. You've got to be willing to stoop down and pick up the grain. You've got to look for God to hand out some handfuls on purpose for you. You've got to be ready for that, but you've got to be willing to work for it. That's exactly how Ruth received it. And so she brought it all back. She gave to her mom both the grain and the doggy bag. And look at what she says here in verse 19. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where have you gleaned today? And where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, This man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. Ruth the Moabite said, He also said to me, You shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women and that people do not meet you in any other field. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest and dwelt with her mother-in-law. You know what that tells us? Every day was like that for Ruth. Every day she went out there and received special treatment, special kindness from Boaz. And every day she came home with an apron full of a lot of grain. And every day she ate at his table and was refreshed at the employee refreshment stand. How greatly she was blessed. But you know what I really want you to see here? I want you to see what Naomi said in verse 20. Can I read it again? Blessed be the name of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and to the dead. Whoa, wait a minute. Is this the same woman who just in the previous chapter said, Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. Now what is she saying? She's praising God. She's singing it at the top of her lungs. Blessed be the name of the Lord. She's singing it. Why? Because she has seen God's kindness to her. I think of some of you. Some of you, you're maybe in that bitter place right now. I mean, honestly so. You put on a pretty good face for church. But you're in that bitter place right now. You know what I want you to have? I want you to have hope. I want you to look at this and say, okay, I am Mara right now. I am bitter. But God is going to bring me into blessing soon. He is going to show his kindness to me. You know where I think God's beginning? He's showing you kindness right now. He's showing kindness right now in the community of God's people, in this word that's being preached to you. You have great hope for the future, even though your past has been bitter, because God is showing his kindness to you. And then one last thing I want you to see. Verse 22, 
She says, it is good, my daughter. Of course, Naomi told Ruth, you stay with that man, Boaz, because not only was he generous, he was one of their near kinsmen. He was the Goel. I'll tell you how the rest of the book of Ruth goes. I hope this doesn't spoil you from coming back next week if I tell you. Listen, this man, Boaz, is not only kind to Ruth and Naomi, he is their deliverer. He saves them. He rescues them. And I want to say that to every person here. Not only has Jesus been kind to you, but Jesus wants to save you. He is your rescuer. He is your deliverer. The only one you're ever going to have. And you've received from the kindness of God. I think that even the most rank pagan who might come into the doors of this church and, and you've decided you, you, you just want to see what these foolish Christians are doing. Maybe you don't believe a word of this Bible. I tell you now and I appeal to your conscience. God has still been kind to you. And you know it. You know it in the heart of your hearts that God has shown his kindness to you. But can I say that same God has shown kindness to you? He's your savior. He's your deliverer. He's your Boaz, your kinsman redeemer. You reach out to him for that now, right now. Today is the day. Now is the time. Next week, we come back at it. Next week, we see the love story blossom even further. But right now, we have a lot to fill our hearts with, right? We have received of the kindness of God, and it might have looked to us like it was on accident, right? There's no accident behind us. We're grateful for it. Let's respond to him right now. I'm going to end with prayer. And the, the prayer team's going to come up at the front here. And the worship team's going to come on up. And we're going to close with a song. But listen, you know, some of you, you need to respond to this. You need to seal what God has spoken to your heart with prayer. And that's why the prayer team is up here. They come at your uh, blessing to have you come and to have them pray for you. So let's stand together and pray. Father, We're grateful for your word. We're grateful for your presence with us. We are so grateful, Lord God in heaven, for how you have been kind to us. We were the ones, Lord, we were strangers from the covenant and the promises of God. We were the ones who deserved nothing from you. And you showed your kindness to us. And Lord, in many ways it looked like accidents to us, but it's no accident. So right now, we want to praise you for it. Lord, I want to pray especially for anybody here. Lord, they're just bitter. I pray that you would show them in a special way the power of your kindness to them and give them hope, hope for the day, hope for the future. And draw many to you, Lord. Draw us to you, that you're not only the one who's kind to us, you're our Savior, you're our Deliverer. In Jesus' name. Amen.